Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Kerry Edelman Show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. We have an amazing interview tonight with the hard rock metal band Bobo Flex coming on momentarily. Marty McCoy, the lead singer, one of the lead singers, shall we say, because they have uh, three of them, so to speak, will be calling in shortly. So uh, let me do some introductions, and then we will um, do a nice introduction for Bobo Flex and bring him on the air. So for anyone new who's listening to my show, just want to welcome you tonight. Bobo Flex is joining many amazing bands that I've had the honor and pleasure of interviewing, which have included bands such as Gemini Syndrome, Soil, I Empire, Otherwise, Each Item, Art of Dying, Raw, Smile Empty Soul, and so many others. So please support the guests on my show. The podcasts are all available to download or stream for free. I also interview comedians on my show, filmmakers, and uh, other persons that are involved in the entertainment industry. A little bit about myself. I have a doctorate degree in clinical psychology, and one of the things that I just thoroughly enjoy doing is using my background um, in interviewing people and doing a very different type of interview. I don't just do kind of a cookie-cutter uh, cookie approach where I'm just kind of throwing out basic questions. I really take my audience on a journey, so um, they walk away from the interview really learning a lot about um, the artists that I interview, and um, hopefully you'll really enjoy it tonight. So I'm going to show you're going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. A couple of things I kindly recommend people um, keep in mind is that although I mentioned I'm a psychologist, my show is purely meant for entertainment purposes. Um, I do have a background in entertainment. Um, I have the radio show. I do some writing for some magazines, and I also have an album out as a solo artist. So I really wanted to combine my passion, as I said, for interviewing and entertainment and create a forum where I can support people and bring them on. Also, just keep in mind, if you want to share any humiliating, embarrassing stories, et cetera, just to please keep identifying information anonymous because I don't want to personally embarrass or humiliate anyone. So if you're tuning in right now, please create a Blog Talk Radio show by going to blogtalkradio.com, and I have some information set up in the chat room. If you want to call in, you can also put some questions in there, but because I am a one-person show, I am going to be predominantly focused on the interview. So let me do an introduction for Boboflex, and then I might have to just send out a quick message just to uh, make sure that uh, the band is calling in tonight. So Boboflex is known as one of the hardest working bands in the country. The band actually formed 16 years ago, and these guys have definitely experienced a fair share of emotional turmoil and ups and downs along the way. Some of the things that they have encountered, um, challenges including their label going bankrupt, some lineup changes, and sometimes the band being told that despite having three singers, which I think makes them very unique and marketable, that sometimes that was not necessarily something labels would be looking for. But despite that, these guys have definitely shown what perseverance, hard work, and being driven is all about. They've never given up. They've released six albums. Tonight we're going to be talking about their latest album, which is Charlatan's Web, and it's the long-anticipated follow-up to 2011's Hell in My Heart, which, as fans will know, featured hit singles such as Bury Me With My Guns On, Chemical Valley, and their phenomenal version of The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. The new album, again, is just hard rock, metal, jam-packed with their unique sound and featuring many hit tracks on the album. The two singles they have out right now is Bad Man, 
as well as I'm Glad You're Dead. And for more information, you've got to check these guys out. They're on tour right now. Go to the official Boboflex.com. And um, I definitely want to thank Doug Weber tonight. He uh, is from New Ocean Media for recording this interview with me. I've done many, many interviews with him in the past and um, in terms of bands that he's worked with and have always had some really great interviews from the uh, bands that he brings on the air. Okay, so let me just try to um, send out a quick message as a reminder just to call in. And uh, maybe what we'll do real quick is let's just go to a break. I'm just going to play one of their singles right now as I try to just prepare a couple of things, all right? And then we'll be right back. So let's check out the single, Bad Man, right now. This is off of Boboflex's new album, Charlotte, and uh, you can pick that up on iTunes, Amazon Music, and all the digital sites. So check it out. Here's Bad Man by Boboflex. Welcome back to the Carrie Edelman Show again. Boba Flex's hit single, Bad Man, which is currently out on their new album, Charlatan's Web. So, again, 
be sure to check these guys out. Check them out on tour right now. Visit the official BobaFlex.com, and uh, let's bring Marty on the air. He just called in. Hello? Hey, Marty. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good, good. Welcome to the show. I did a nice introduction for you guys and then uh, played Bad Man, so uh, I definitely want to talk a little bit about that song and then get really into the interview, but um, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So you guys are currently on tour right now? Uh, we just finished up yesterday. Just got home last night late. Okay, okay. I don't know why I thought you guys were still in kind of taking little breaks here and there, but I thought from your website it looked like you guys were still doing some shows, but maybe not. I'm mistaken, probably. We so, just uh, finished up. Oh, you just finished up. All right, cool. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the tour. Were you guys the featured act, or did yeah. you guys have yeah, other yeah. bands? Okay. Um, we we just finished up a six-week tour with uh, a band called Romantic Rebel out of Chicago. They're an amazing bunch of people and, and had a blast with those guys and, and uh, <clears throat> had about five days off and then went down to Florida and did a, a run of shows in Florida. And then we go we rehearse tomorrow for the big show in Columbus, Ohio, and then back out on the road out to L.A. and, and the whiskey and, and all that fun stuff. So we never really stop ever. Right, right, and that's what I read from when we were going to get into really talking about the band's history and stuff. It sounds like that you guys are just chronically touring nonstop, which is, you know, what makes you guys so successful today. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, with with MTV being gone and your one place to get music, that's the only way to do it is go out and shake the people's hands and and look them in the eye and and sing songs to them. It's it's not like it used to be, which it's good for us because it's opened up a whole – a whole new thing for musicians that want to, you know, get out there and play. It's it's the only way to do it, and and I really enjoyed traveling and seeing the country and and meeting people every night and playing to friends in every city. Like now we've we've toured so much that every night is like a another family reunion. Right, right. That's awesome. That's awesome. And as we get into the interview, from what I've read too, with the research I've done, your fans have been, you know, there with you guys along the way, despite all the emotional turmoil, the ups and downs. You guys have had the roller coaster ride, and so it's been amazing to see how much people have just continued to support you guys. Oh, I know. I can't believe it. I'm like, you guys should have gave up on us years ago. What's wrong with you? <laughs> no, stop, stop. <laughs> So since I played that man because I was doing it while I was uh, waiting for you to call in, tell us a little bit about that track, just because, you know, I don't want it to kind of waste away as we get into the interview. Tell us a little bit about that song and just the concept behind it, the meaning, if there's anything of relevance to it. Oh, well, um, you know, rock radio has changed over the years, and, and I remember growing up as a kid and listening to the music that really inspired me. Um, at, you know, when I was probably 13 or 14 years old, it was about, you know, people – people owning owning the stage and, and it wasn't so emotional and it wasn't so much, you know, I don't want to say anything against any kind of musical genre, but right. it just seemed like the, the badass is gone. The guy that commands right. the stage and the guy that isn't crying about some girl or heartbreak or some kind of drug problem, it's like, what happens to skinny, long-haired dudes playing guitars and explosions going off and, and talking about... <laughs> Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know what I mean? It's gone. It had, right. It's been a long time coming. It's like it's time to write a song about, you know, this is my house and this this is where I play and this and this is what I've been doing for years and and I, you know it's like cool. it just the the rock and roll badasses went away. Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. No, that's cool. That's that's a cool concept. I wasn't sure if it was about 
you know, someone in your life that you met that had done you wrong, but I like the I like the way that you you know, the interpretation that you gave about the song. No, it's totally so, about very me. cool. <laughs> it's totally about you. Well, it's interesting because as, as I, I mentioned before you called in, and I always do like a little disclaimer in the beginning, I'm actually a clinical psychologist with um, a specialty in clinical and forensics. And oh, I always nice. ask very interesting questions. Yeah, I love symbolism and looking at, you know, meaning behind things. And so we're going to delve into a lot of stuff tonight. And your album itself, just the titles of some of the songs, very dysphoric sometimes and, and dark, you know what I mean? So I just, I found it really interesting. But it's great. Your album's just, it's phenomenal. Thank you so much. It's definitely, you know, the the band has a lot of influences and, and we all write together and, and that's what we wanted to do when we started the band. It's like, this is five people. This is not one guy writing all the songs and, and everybody else learning the parts and going out and playing. This is a band. And, and bands used to do that. And, and everybody sings in the band. We used to say, if you can't sing, you can't be in the band. And, and every, there's people that sing lead. It, like, everybody sings lead on one of the tracks on the album. It's like, so all the singers switch and everything. And it was just like bands that grew up on Kiss and the Eagles and Pink Floyd and, and stuff like that. I was like, man, how come, you know, what happened to the, you know, everybody singing and everybody having their own part on the album and, and albums going in, in different different way. you know what I mean? Like an album taking you somewhere right. instead of everything sounds like everything else and here's the single and then the rest of the songs are going to sound exactly like the single and this is what we have to do because we're afraid of, of not selling albums. It's like no one's selling albums anymore. Do whatever the hell you want. Right, right. Well, I think that was interesting because, again, a lot of the stuff I read on you guys, unfortunately – some people thought it was a really unique aspect that you had, you know, every member in the band switching off and, and singing lead and backups and harmonies. And then sometimes people would say to you and, and tell me, you know, how you felt about this, what you thought about it, because evidently you guys didn't, you know, sell out, so to speak. But some people would kind of say to you, too, that, well, that's kind of, I don't know how far you guys are going to get with doing that without having kind of this lead frontman. So, you know, what uh, was your impression record that? Label- record labels would say to us this is very interesting stuff we don't want anything to do with it but it's very original and it's like oh okay well fine then and and come to find out a lot of these record labels are gone now because they don't understand originality and and they don't want anything to do with it which is you know it's it's great for me it's like we have we go out and and we pack our clubs and and we uh have our fans and and it's like i don't care what the mainstream rock community thinks anymore because I'm not turned on by it anymore. It's like, it's all, right. not all of it. I mean, there's some really good stuff out there, and there's a lot of bands that I really like, but it's like, it just, come on, guys. We're, we're having to danger in rock and roll. It all sounds like inspirational pop music with keyboard sounding guitars, and it's like, what happened to the dangerous rock star that you didn't know what was going to happen, right. and, and, you, and you felt like, you know, that you, could, you couldn't be this person because they're just too crazy or they're just too... You know what I mean? It's just like things just things need to change. It needs to be a big shakeup. It's like we lost it when when the '90s came in and 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 everything turned into hurtful feelings and I'm upset and, and I'm drab. And then rap blew up because rap started rapping about girls and money and cars and and having fun. And that's where all the kids went to was rap because their their heroes weren't in rock and roll anymore. You know, they're the right. people that they aspired to be and wanted to be are gone from rock and roll. And rap blew up huge because there's heroes in rap and, and talking about, you know, taking over the world and, and, and you know, it just it just changed. It's like it went from one medium to the other. And, and you can't blame anybody for wanting to, 
you know, that felt because rap had such a huge surge is because the heroes were back and the guys that were talking about fun times and, and, and cool things happening and how much, how many women they got and how much money they made. And that kind of stuff was gone from rock for a long time. Right. Well, and it's, it's interesting you say that because that's the one thing that I've always loved about hard rock and rock music and metal is that, that emotional component of it. And people would be like, why are you listening to that stuff? It's so depressing. But that's the stuff I love to hear. That's the stuff that really kind of gets me in tune with my own emotions and, and deal with things. And so like you said, it is a shame that, right, people gravitate towards, you know, different things based on society and perception and, yeah. It just, I mean, like, there, there's definitely moments for, for you know, emotional songs and, and definitely off-color off subjects and, and different kind of things. But it's like we have to bring back the celebration and the, the larger-than-life aspect to, to rock music. It's like, you know, it, it's the age-old thing. If, if you, you know, act like you're the biggest thing in the world, people will believe you. And it's right. like <laughs> I remember going to concerts and, and, and rock musicians were selling out stadiums, and they're not doing that anymore. You know they're right. they're not doing what they, there's not explosions going off and fire in the background and and this guitar god and you know I mean there is the bands like Avenged Sevenfold and stuff like that are bringing it back and I love Avenged Sevenfold and, and right, it's like right. you know where, where's Guns and Roses where are Guns and Roses at they're gone it's like people now are successful if they have two tour buses Guns and Roses had a jet plane with their name on the side of it and it's because they were dangerous wow. and and they were larger than life and 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 every band member was you know somebody that you liked like i remember growing up as a kid and thinking well you know the bass player is my favorite this week and then the guitar player is my favorite this week and everybody had an active role in the, in the music and it wasn't just you know the lead singer and a bunch of dudes behind him headbanging right right no and and that's like you said that's what you guys are trying to bring back by having every member of the band be a major part like you said in the songwriting and the, the stage Absolutely. presence and everything you guys do right so why don't we do it's this? Just let's, like, let's it wasn't like something that we little... set out to do. I'm sorry. It right. wasn't something that we set out no, no, to do. It was just something that we that we grew up with, you know? And it's just like these bands like Kiss, you know? You know every member in Kiss. There's the cat, there's the guy, there's the star child, there's there's the demon, and, and it's it's just like just it's, something has to happen. This Everybody wearing the same clothes, and, and, and it's just like what happened to rock and roll? Come on, man. Let's get it back together. Let's get it back together. We're where there's girls in the crowd screaming and, and like heavy metal. I, I used to love heavy metal when I was younger, but it's like, mm-hmm. I, I'm just not into dudes with their shirts off pushing each other down anymore. It's just not my thing anymore. <laughs> right. And it's like, I'm not that big of a right. guy. I can't stand there in the crowd. I'm going to get the crap knocked out of me. And it's just like, you know, the thing that killed me, I love Pantera. It's one of my favorite bands. But what people took from Pantera was the wrong things. They didn't realize that Phil Anselmo could sing his ass off. And that Dimebag Darrell and his brother are two of the greatest musicians that ever walked the planet. And it's like they thought, well, if we just scream and, and play drums really fast, this is, this is metal. And it's like, no, if you want to be in Meshuggah or Lamb of God, you have to be able to play your instrument like, like Eddie Van Halen. They're just as good as any of those right. guys. And, and I love stuff like that, but the, what happened to the rock scene to, in the smaller clubs is you got these bands that, that didn't practice, you know, but once a week and, and, and get up there on stage and scream on the stage. No wonder people aren't coming to see shows. I don't want to watch some kids scream on the microphone and throw a fit. That's what, you know what I mean? I want to see people play songs that I want to actually hear. That's like that's all you hear is And how can you do that better than the last guy who is actually a really good musician? 
It's, no, you, I mean, you, you make many valid points, uh, Marty. You do. <laughs> that's no, you do. That's but here's the, no, no, but here's the million-dollar question. I mean, if, if you had the answer, how do you bring it back to where it used to be? Like, how do you get at that, at that point when, like you said, there's been such a 180 and a shift today with, you know, well, the happening. way society it, is, it, unfortunately. It's happening in the B&C markets. It's happening. Rock and roll okay. is coming back in the BNC markets and the blue collar working hard communities of, of not in Chicago, but right outside Chicago in Bloomington, Illinois. There's this rock club that's huge. Flint, Michigan, the machine shop, it's happening. And there's radio cool. stations that are supporting the movement. And Sirius Satellite Radio has been amazing. You know, they're doing what yeah, they I mean, want. Nobody really. Yeah. They're awesome. They're I mean, that's how I found you guys. And. Most of the bands I have on my show is is through listening to Octane. I mean, that's where I find all these artists that I just fall in love with, and I'm like, oh, I got to interview these guys, you know? It's because they can do what they want, and, and they're not worried about you know what their corporate playlist looks like. And and there's True. stations right. like Columbus, Ohio, and the Blitz, and and stations like uh, WJJO in Madison, Wisconsin, and and stations in Iowa, and places that are playing what they want. You know, I mean, they're playing the big stuff that you got to play, but they're playing other other bands that are touring and coming through and, and it helped us build followings. Like, I mean, when we go to Iowa, it's like the Beatles are in town. It's amazing. And you can go to Chicago. No one's ever heard of us. Right. Right. Wow. What, what is that? I don't mean? care. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's fine with me. I don't care. It's cheaper for me to park in Bloomington, Illinois than it is in Chicago on a tour bus. So, and, and it's the right. same amount of people. And, and it's like there's this amazing thing happening with bands like Royal Bliss and Wayland and, and, and us and Romantic Rebel where you get into these smaller markets. I wouldn't say really small, but, you know, BNC mar- they're considered BNC markets, which, you know, there's this thing happening where the people are getting off work and they're coming and they're spending a, a lower ticket price, a $10 ticket to come to the club, you know, a 700-seater packed out with their friends and watch these rock bands play. And that's great. Guitar Hero and, and all these other things have happened, and these wonderful parents have raised their children to listen to rock music, and it's great, and it's really <laughs> happening. And, and, you know, like I said, I can pull in to Syracuse, New York, and sell out a club and drive right past New York City and not care about it. Not saying I don't care about it, just saying, you know what I mean? The surrounding areas outside the cities and, and L.A. And, and New York don't realize there's an entire country in between them. I know. No, you're right. You're right. I know. So let's do this a little bit. Let's digress because we're talking a lot about where you guys are today, but I want to hear a little bit about you as, you as a kid growing up. I want to hear about, you know, growing up in, in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. You know, what were you like? What were some of your interests? Um, you know, it, it was starts to so say, awesome. Go ahead. Okay. It was so awesome. My dad played bluegrass as a, when I was a kid, and we'd have all these crazy musicians come in the house that could play, you know, flat-top guitar like you'd never seen. And, and they would all switch instruments and sing leads, and, and my dad would sing lead, and, and he I got my name from his D35 handmade Martin guitar that he had for years, which he traded to get myself and my brother last fall, which I can't thank him enough for that, and I want to slap him for that. It's like, you should have kept your guitar. You should have made me get a job and buy mine. But just, like, it was a great place to grow up. Everybody knew everybody. There was no cliques. You could leave your doors unlocked. It was, like, it was just a wonderful place to grow up, and, and I love it there. I still love it there. I still love it. It's beautiful. You know, everybody's nice. There's still this, the, the mentality of the cars broke down. Some guy will get out and help you fix it without asking for anything and not right. drive by and watch you stand on the side of the highway. Our our school was great. I had some great teachers. Uh 
childhood friends. I have a twin sister, and her and I were best oh, friends, okay. and all our friends were the same. All our friends were the same people, and it was just it was a wonderful experience growing up there in West Virginia. It was a little boring, but we made our own fun, and and it was a like the the neighbors never called the police; they just let us practice and sound terrible for years. And would they would come in and say, "But can you can you do me a favor? Can you stop playing Knock on Heaven's Door five five hours a day? Can you right, play right. something?" Right. And they were great, and it was so, awesome, and, and they're still great. That's awesome. So you're, it sounds like, and it's interesting because I mean, you make a connection a little bit from what you're saying about growing up with with your dad playing music and people coming into the house and then switching the instruments like you're saying and taking lead vocals and taking a step back. And it's kind of interesting to see just the connection between your band today and, and the similarities with what you guys do, with at least with the you know, vocals. I just, I just always thought that's how it was supposed to be. To me, it wasn't a weird thing. To me, it was a weird thing that right. you had one guy singing everything on the record. And, and you know, my dad would come in and, and there would be these, people that stop off tour and all kinds of stuff come in and play and there'd be, you know, uh, I thought the most amazing thing when I was younger, there was a girl playing stand up bass in my living room and, and they would all switch and, and she'd play violin and then she'd sing. I can't quite recall what her name was, but there's just several moments where I just saw all these people playing together and singing and it sounded as, sounded as good as anything that you'd heard on the radio or, and it was just really interesting. And I knew that I wanted to plug That's the cool. guitar in. But so, I knew that bluegrass and, and that kind of stuff was something that was really, really deep-rooted and, and the emotional feeling and the chord changes and, the, and everybody singing harmonies and that kind of stuff. I was like, that's, that's how you play music. I mean, I don't understand right. why you would be sitting there if you, could, if you can't sing. And if you can't grasp the concept of singing, then you're, I, don't, I don't understand why you would have a seat in the house. Right. So... And I yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. With your was your dad a professional musician? Is that what he did? Or no, was it just something no, like, what he you, wanted to be. No. He wanted to be. What did your parents do for work? Uh, my father uh works at the racing locks and dams, so he was in the military and he met my mother in Scotland and she came over. Oh wow. And when she was about about twenty three years old, she came over and she worked for the cable company, so that's another cool perk I had when I was younger. He had all the free cable channels. <laughs> I remember having there the Disney go. channel before it was Yeah, I had the Disney channel before it was out to the public and, and my father works for the Army Corps of Engineers and, and locks boats on the Ohio River. And it's a great wow. job. He's always Yeah, he's always been able to you know, we never never walked around with one shoe on. We always had everything that we needed and, and they were always really loving parents and, and really supportive of everything that we did. My father told me when I was in college, he said, come home and do this band thing. I know you don't want to be in the corporate world and, and I don't wow. want to spend a bunch of money on your, yeah, he's like, I don't want to waste a bunch of money on your college. Just come home and, and do the band thing. He's like, you know, it'll make you, that's what makes you happy. So please do that. And well, I, I was I remember I wanted... on the phone, like, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no, I remember no, being on the phone and I couldn't believe I couldn't believe my father saying this to me while I was in college. He was like, "Come home and forget this college crap," which is a great thing because now the economy's in a whirlwind of pain, <laughs> and all these college students okay. are working at the Olive Garden, living with their parents. And I was like, "Wow, who thought this band thing was going to work out? That's crazy." Well, that's interesting too because I, w- I wanted to definitely get to that. I was reading about you know some of you guys being in college and some of you guys meeting through college. I think from at least some of the members in the past. But um, so as a kid growing up, when did you? And then I wanted you know fast forward to the college. 
when did you and your brother Sean start to really get into music? And you know, was vocals your first thing that you were into? It was a guitar. Tell us, just you know, just give a few sentences about how you guys started to get involved and, and work together. I got the guitar first. Um, for Christmas, I wanted a guitar. I was eight years old, and my dad okay. got me a Series Ten guitar. And I remember him being so upset because I did the eight-year-old thing and found it under the under the bed before it was Christmas time. And he was like, "Oh man, I ruined the surprise." My brother actually picked Aww. it up first because I was a little tiny dude, and I was just like, I cannot even reach the end of the guitar yet. My brother picked it up first, and about two weeks into him learning lessons, I was like, that's it, I'm playing guitar too. So we started playing at a very young age. Um, we had okay. high school bands. Actually, the guys that were Tommy and Jared I've played with since I was 11 years old. Really? Wow. Yep, yep. Played with them since Who I was a kid. And... Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I played with Tommy and Jared. I, I remember when Tommy got his drum set the the day that it came in, his drum set, and he could he sat down the very first time he got his kit and could play it. And I was like, how did you do that? He's like, well, I've beat on my legs and stuff for years waiting on the drum kit to get here. And he knew how to play. I mean, he could play decently well when he got it out of the box. Amazing. Wow. So you guys have been together for a long time. So have those been the core original members of the band the whole time? Absolutely. Jared, Tommy, you and... Wow, okay. Because I know there was a couple Sean, yeah. here and there along the way. And Sean, right, right. And then you guys yeah. well, recently we, added uh, had, we had a little band in college, and it was Bogoflex, and it was I was playing bass, and we had some rappers and stuff that were friends of my brothers. And I just remember thinking, I, I don't want to do this. I hate this. And Sean and I and were, sh- were the only ones showing up to practice, and we would work hours on these songs, and they would come in, and five minutes later they would – Say I got the song done, and they would have this rap verse about the streets and, and their privileged kids that never lived on the streets. I was like, this is stupid. And so we kicked them out, and I was like, if, you know, if I'm going to be in the band, I'm going to Tommy and Jared are going to be in the band, and that's when the band actually became the real band and actually became, you know, something that we were very serious about and practiced every day and and wrote songs together. When it first started out, it was a little thing that I wanted to be in a band always, and my brother just was like kind of forced his way in and said, hey, I got these two rappers. I think it's a great idea, and it was terrible, and I hated it. And we got rid of them and, and, and put our heads down and said, these are the two guys. I said, if we're going to do this, these are the two guys that I want, and I, I'm taking no for an answer. I will not take, you know, th- th- this is how it's going to be. And Sean's like, oh, right, I don't know, right. man. Those are your, those are your friends. Because Sean was older, and he was he was off in college before I was into college. And, and he was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, this is how it's going to be. And he's like, okay. And we did it. And, and a year later, we got a record deal. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. So let's we'll move we'll in that record. area right yeah, now. We so, got a record deal. Right. <laughs> well, we'll get into that because I know you guys had some unfortunate experiences with, with labels. And then you recently – you know, started your own, which sounds like it's been going very well for you. What college were you guys going to? Where were you guys? You were all going to the same college? Uh, Marshall University. Actually, Jared and Tommy uh, were still back in Mason, uh, but Sean and I were going to Marshall University. My brother is eight hours away from having his degree in marketing. He quit, really? too. He's like, and I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, were you studying the same thing as him, like business and marketing? No, I was a political science guy. What were the plans that you guys were going to do if you did graduate college? Let's say hypothetically, and you know you didn't you didn't do the music thing. What what did you want to potentially do? It sounds like you were going to do music anyway, but pretty much. I remember um, like being totally freaked out as a kid, and and like 
you know, everyone talking about in, in West Virginia, you know, you can either go to the coal mines or the plants. And my dad didn't work at the plant or the coal mine, so there was no, hey, get my son on the list kind of thing. And I remember it terrifying me, thinking even being in high school, like being somewhere eight hours a day that I don't, that I don't want to be is, is a horrible idea, and I remember not wanting to do that at all. So I joined right. the military. I joined the military oh. so, so I could pay for college, you know what I mean? I got kicked out of the military. It's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a heroic story. <laughs> Okay. With the, okay. Yeah, I remember joining the military and getting through basic and doing all that stuff and, and, and just thinking, you know, sitting down one day, like, I don't want to shoot anybody. I don't want to get shot at. I don't want to shoot anybody. Right. It's not for me. It's not my thing. So I got kicked out of the military but because I took Ritalin in high school, and they asked, you know, do you have seizures? And I never had a seizure in my life. And I said, yes. And I got thrown out that day. And it was the best day okay. of my life, one of the best <laughs> days of my life. I come home wow. and I'm like, no, no, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be a communication specialist and all. What are you doing? And so my dad was a little bit upset about that, but then um, I did that so I could pay for college and, and a couple other different things like that because I didn't want, you know, my parents, my, my twin sister was in school and my brother was in school and my parents, you know, mm-hmm. they weren't rich. And it was, school's not, you know, school's expensive. And I knew if I didn't go to the military and paid for it myself, I would fail out and be a total loser because I've done that before and hated school, didn't like it at all. So once I was in college and I was doing pretty well, I was doing pretty well. And, and my dad was the one that, like I said, he, he called and said, Hey, this is not you. I know right. what you want to do. And I was like, wow. Oh my God, are you serious? He's like, yep, come on home. And I came home and got with Tommy and Jared and, and, and Sean and, and said, let's do this. If we're going to do this, if we're going to compete with tool and, and uh, Rage Against the Machine and bands like that, like, we really need to learn how to play Amazing. as well as these guys, yeah, and write, and we need to spend, like, it's a job. We used to do two-a-days. We would get up at 8 in the morning and practice from 8 till about 4, go home, get something to eat, take a shower, come back and practice till 10 o'clock at night. We would do two-a-days for a very long time and then practice six to eight hours a day when we were off tour. And, and what we started doing was, I started going, like, to come to Columbus, Ohio, and found out there was an actual rock scene in Columbus, Ohio, and the Al Rosa Vila, mm-hmm. and this club where there's kids coming and buying tickets, and there's these different kind of bands on the show. You know, there's this industrial goth band playing and, uh, with another rock band and a death metal band playing, and it was this rock scene. And what we started realizing is because we practiced so much, we stomped them all. <laughs> like, even if you That's didn't awesome. like their music. Yeah, even if you were like, I don't know about their music, it was like, well, they played it well and they played it tight, and they could sing, and they knew what they were doing because we worked really hard. Cool. Like, I remember the military experience and, and, you know, my brother playing football and all that kind of stuff. We treated it as if we were a professional organization when we were 17, 18, 19 years old. It's like we're going to outwork everybody. And if we do that, hopefully we'll be the basketball team that wins. And it started to work. It started to really work, and we would come into these local scenes, and, and we would play with national acts, and the national acts would be watching us, and they'd come talk to us, and, and they would give us pointers and tips and stuff and, and help us with songwriting. And, and we were just like the – just being from West Virginia, we were just really nice people, and we would listen, and we would thank them, and, and we got along – got a lot, of, a lot of stuff that way and learned a lot about writing songs and, and, and performances. Like bands like Seven Dust took us under their wing, the first couple of major tours that we did were with Seven Dust, and, and they just took wow. us under their wing and were the coolest dudes in the world and, and taught us how to play live. Just watch them for 68 shows, and you, you will know 
how to play live. You might not be able to do it like they do, but right. you'll know what you're supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to sound like, and that's what it's supposed to be like. So they were just super cool to us and, and helped us write songs, and I remember meeting Shifty Shellshock one day, the guy from Crazy Town, and he sat me down and, and in a half-hour conversation a couple times on the phone, taught me a lot about writing songs and was just blunt and honest and, bam, here's how it works, and, and why would you play that riff 16 times? You're not in Led Zeppelin. Nobody wants to hear you play that mediocre <laughs> riff six times. He's like, you got to right. get to the point. And you, if you're going to put it on a, on a record, it's got to be interesting. And, and you have to, you know, your chorus has to be the best part of the song. And your verse has to be just as good as the chorus. And you have to outdo all these things. And he just taught me a lot in and, and very small conversations. One time he called me from the gym with Anthony Kiedis on the phone. Oh, wow. Okay. Out. Yeah, because they were workout buddies. Before he, because he was clean for a long time. Shifty was really clean for a long time, and and when they were on the Ozfest, he was on one bus, which is the sober bus, and and everybody else partying on the other bus. And he was really clean and sober, and had his act together. And he was a really, really nice, down to earth guy, and and like was just really good to me. And I like he taught me so much in such a short period of time. Great, you know, it's so, and it's, it's I love the stories, and and thank you so much for sharing just all the details and information and. That's specifically what I want to get out on my interview and make it different from other people's. And, you know, I think it's really cool that you hear, here you have these huge bands, like you're saying, Crazy Town, Seven Dust, and all these people that are sharing, you know, all these nuggets of information for you guys. And you would think sometimes people get a little maybe intimidated. Hey, we don't want another band out there competing with us. But that's really cool and genuine to see that they were so open to, you know, helping you guys take these, you know, uh, suggestions, so to speak, they were saying to help you get to that next level. It was like we were so sponges for information. And, and Dave Mustaine did the same thing for us. Dave Mustaine, when we did the first Gigantor, he picked us, his son liked us, and he picked us and brought us on tour. And, and when Dave Mustaine tells you something, you listen. It doesn't matter how <laughs> smart you think you are. When Dave Mustaine tells you well, what to do with your songs and your band, and he, the way he was so cool, he's like, you're a grown man, you can do whatever you want but I would like to make some suggestions if you're open to it. I said, yes, Mr. Mustaine, I am absolutely open to it. And he would tell us cool things, and and he was just a great guy, and all these people that you hear these stories about, and they're all just really nice people, and if you leave them alone and and – They'll they'll come around and and they'll hang out with you and they'll and you know if you work hard and you're on the stage at the time you're supposed to be on and you're off the stage and you're supposed to be off and you follow mm-hmm. the rules and and you don't say f this and f that every song, you know they start to start to come around and start to hang out with you and then they start opening up to you and start telling hey I really like your band and and you can you know that's what Dave did and and you know, Chad from Mudvayne and and everybody were just really cool hey this is what Hi. you remind me of this. And, and you remind me of, like, Chad from Mudvayne said, you remind me of us when we were younger. And I want you to kind of, you know, kind of do this a little bit, you know, try this a little bit on your ne- when you write your next song and, and stuff like that. And we would listen. And, and we worked with some really nice producer guys that, that would tell us the same thing. And, and they would, we would take everything that everyone told us and we would put it into action. Like, we worked with Tony Battaglia, right. who's a big producer that did, like, all the Shinedown records. And he told a story nice. about working with the Eagles and yeah, he's, he's, he worked with the Eagles in Miami in the in the heyday of the cocaine cowboys, and Miami was built on cocaine. And he just told us crazy stories, and and he showed us how to write songs. And, and Rusty Cobb and Joe Veers and, and Chuck Alcazi and all these great producers that decided to work with us because they liked the band, and they would give us this these tips, and and we would you know 
lock them in forever and never forget, you know, the but, things that they taught us. And, and it was great. It was an awesome experience. And, and when you start working with these people, you, they take one of your songs. When you're younger, you think, it's my song. Don't change it. And then you get put your album out, and you're like, oh, people kind of liked it. So maybe we should listen to this well, producer a little bit more and see what he has to say. And then, and then you hear your songs getting better, and the song that you wrote in your basement you think is perfect, you take it to a producer, and, and, and if you click with the producer, then and all of a sudden your song's way better than you thought it could ever be. And it was just this really great experience to learn from all these people and, and people that are, that are proven what they're worth in, in, in the music industry. It's like when you know, someone sold 20 million records, you listen to what they say. It's not your idiot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, well, I think, but I think the other thing you guys, and this is my like psychology stuff I always like to pull in when I can, I think the other thing you guys really bring to the table, Marty, is just you guys are very down-to-earth and grounded. You know, I don't get the vibe from just how you're describing yourselves with being so open-minded and flexible and wanting to, you know, absorb whatever these people say to you. I mean, you guys aren't these narcissistic kind of egomaniacs who are like, no, we're going to do it better, or we, we know what we're, you know, but, but that's what I think, that's been a huge key for you guys, too. I mean, of course, you're amazingly talented, you know, phenomenal songwriters, and you guys bring so much to the table, but that key element, like you said, getting off the stage when you need to, you know, listening to what people tell you to do, not kind of, you know, being oppositional, so to speak, and you know what I mean? I think that is so yeah. relevant and important, and I don't think people think well, about that, because you just... You know, when I see band stories, I love to read things where people's, you know, egos, like to me that's fascinating. Narcissism and antisocial behavior to me is just, I just don't get it because it's so the opposite of who I am. So that stuff to me is always just so alluring and, and just, yeah, I just, I can't grasp it, but I understand the dynamics behind it. So my, The way I always explained it was that we've been humbled so many times that there's right. no chance for an ego in this band. It's like... You know, because I, I switched lead vocal duties with my brother, and that's something that, I, you know, I never, you know, I'm the lead singer, and he's never said that to me. I'm the lead singer, or Jared has never said, you know, this is my song, and I'm going to sing it. It's like we've always kind of just wrote songs, and like, this part is great for you. This is perfect for your voice. And, and it just we've been humbled so many times, and, and, you know, coming from West Virginia, there is no... There is no management or there is no uh, publishing companies or, or anything like record labels. So you know, a lot of the well, stuff we had to do on our own, and we learned that when right. you get help from someone, even if it's in advice, you, you take it. Right. Well, it might be your background, too, like you say, where you're coming from, and, and really, like you said, no pun intended, kind of having that grassroots kind of working your way up, and you know what I mean? So that that is so important, too. Um yeah, well, let's do it, this because I, mean, I want to talk a little bit. Yeah, we'll talk more about that stuff. But I definitely want to play um, I'm Glad You're Dead, which is another yeah. great title. Um, and then we'll get back, and I want to talk about, you know, just some of the struggles you guys had with labels, how you got to where you are with your label today, and then, of course, the album and whatever else you want to throw in there. So tell us a little bit about I'm Glad You're Dead and, uh, yeah, where where that song stemmed from, if it's from – you know, some, some generic thing or a certain person. Tell us a little bit about that. It's it's a brainchild of my brother. It's his. It's his. Uh, he came to me with the idea of the song, and I was like, it's brilliant, man. And so we started writing it together, and, <laughs> and he, uh, you know, we we had a lot. Every song that we write is about life experience. My dad asked, is that song about me? I was like, no, Dad. <laughs> no, Dad, it's not at all about you. But, you know, we've had friends and, and, and stuff that's had some pretty – 
crappy upbringings, and and we had this feeling that you know everybody when there's this, everybody's got this one person in their life. I mean, I know mm-hmm. Christians and stuff aren't supposed to say it, and but everybody's got one person in their life. When they passed away, you secretly felt like you couldn't say it out loud, but in your thoughts, you're like, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that guy being gone or that, you know, person being gone. So we thought that there were so many people out there that, we, you know, we had friends that had gone through things like that when their father passed away. It's like, good riddance, you're free now, buddy. Let's go. You can let all this off your shoulders. And, and we thought, you know, that it was something that we could connect with in, in certain people in our lives and, and come to find out that the entire nation connected with it because everybody feels that way. And we feel that we can't say it out loud because the man in the sky might condemn us for it. But if we were the the vehicle to make it a national chant, <laughs> why not? And it connected really well with people. And, and then Fred Phelps died from – from the uh, West, the Baptist God hates, you know, that guy, the God hates Baptist guy, the signs and all that stuff. He died okay. right at the same time that song came out. And it was like, we couldn't oh, have paid for better publicity. I mean, it blew up so big on, <laughs> on YouTube that YouTube took it down and thought that we were, that we were faking views. Oh gosh. Wow. Really? Yeah. It took it down. And we had to go through a big long Crazy. process to get the video back up. And we shot the video ourselves. Uh, Myself and a couple friends, uh, Keith Williams and Paul Cunningham and John Payne and Focus Peak Media Group, some really good friends of mine, uh, we got together and wrote the concept and, and directed it ourselves and did all this stuff. And, and the video just kind of really took off on its own, and, and so did the uh, the song at radio did really well. And it was just this really cool thing where it was this, you know, morbid anthem for people that, that connected with you know, connected with this song because, like I said, everybody's got. I mean, even if it's you know Saddam Hussein or your your father or your abusive uncle or something, everybody has that one person in their life where they're like, "Yeah, good, see you later. World's a better place without you." All right. With that being said, good job, good job, Marty, <laughs> describing the song. No, it's great. Yeah, and thank you for plugging all of the other people that were involved in the video and stuff. You guys, they all did a, a wonderful job with that. So yeah, kudos to That's them. That's my dad as a preacher, great by job. the way. My dad's the preacher said? in the video. My dad oh, okay. is the preacher in the video. All right. Video. Yeah, I'll have to pay was, attention to that. So, okay. He was so ecstatic about it that he was he he like I said, Dad, would you want to be in the video? And he's like, Yeah, and he wrote a sermon and everything and like was just I, I can see him now in my hometown showing people the video with the volume off saying that it's his <laughs> Do you see my video? <laughs> the music that he's playing. Here's me, here's me. He loved it so much. It was great to do something like that with my Aww. dad. And it was awesome. That's yeah, awesome. It was awesome. Cool. All right, so with that being said, I'm going to put you on hold, and then we'll come back and, like I said, talk about some some label stuff, some of the challenges that you guys had, and, and how you overcame them and where you are today. All right? Sounds, sounds good to me. Okay. Hold on. All right, everyone. Again, the Boba Flex is on the air right now. Great interview with Marty. So if you tuned in late, a podcast will be available after it is over, so you can download it or stream it. We're going to check out I'm Glad You're Dead again, another hit single off of their album, Charlatan's Web. It is out right now. So check these guys out. Go to the official Boba Flex. That's a <laughs> tongue twister, the word, sometimes. I do have to ask them about the, the name of the band, too. So, okay, here, check it out. I'm Glad You're Dead by Boba Flex. We'll be back in a moment. Your funeral, I'll have to say it's overdue Our family cries, the preacher really tries To make it less meaningful, I fight to keep it straight 
everyone. Welcome back again to the Carrie Edelman Show, Bobleflex with I'm Glad You're Dead. Amazing track by these guys. And as I said, their album is singles and really great music. So check it out, Charlatan's Web. It is out right now. Download it on iTunes, Amazon Music, and all the digital sites. All right, so let's bring Marty back on. All right, Marty, great song. Great, great track. Thank you. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. So... Yeah, let's just uh, give us a little background on, you know, some of the unfortunate things that happened with, you know, TVT Records, unfortunately, and, and the bankruptcy. And, gosh, I almost, my heart sank, and I got nauseous when I read about you almost losing your songs and some of the other stuff I read. Oh, my gosh. So just oh, talk a little man, bit about, a... oh, that well, time. And so, al- go ahead. Alcohol is a wonderful uh, suppressant. Uh, <laughs> there's a point in time where, when TVT went bankrupt, which is horrible because we had our album Tell Some Dirt Town come out, and everybody mm-hmm. was really excited about it. And there were some really good people over there at TVT Records, Lenny Johnson, Michelle Oakes, uh, a lot of great people that believed in us a lot and, and pulled for us at TVT. And, and TVT had become a big rap label, and they had Little John and Ying Yang Twins. I mean, they first started out with Nine Inch Nails and Seven Dust, and they were this, the biggest independent rock mm-hmm. label there ever was, you know. And then all of a sudden they started signing all these rap groups and they had this major success with rap. And when they signed us, they were like, we want to show the world that we can come back with rock. And I was like, this is awesome. And uh, right. the, we got the record done. That Everybody there was extremely happy about it. And they thought this, our single home was going to be a, a big radio thing. And, and they hired in a new radio team. And, and the day that home was supposed to hit the radio, they we were informed through you know a phone call that the record label had gone bankrupt and and. I mean, it was a pretty messed up thing because even the employees at TVT that had worked, you know, worked their life away to make these bands successful, they they got a phone call. It wasn't like they got a severance package or anything. It's like, hey, doors are shut, oh no jobs, everybody's gone. And then when a record label goes into bankruptcy, nobody knows what happens to the music because now a bank owns everything. And we hired Pitbull's attorney. Uh, Pitbull was one of the big rap artists on TVT. We hired his mm-hmm. attorney and thought, you know, we'll give this guy $80,000 a minute. He's going to be able to get us out of it. And he had, he had no idea. You know, one week it was, you're free. You got all your music back. The next week, you're not free. You don't have any of your music back. And it just went on and went on forever. And, and we, how had, long we got it go ourselves on out. For? Yeah, how oh, long, how long did it go on for? Yeah, probably about a oh year and a half. Gosh. So yeah, how did we, it get we to the toured point the that country. Guys... Go ahead. Well, we toured the country selling T-shirts to our fans. We couldn't even sell music. We, we didn't have any music to sell because, you know, it was all locked up in the courts. And uh. So we toured the country selling T-shirts, and, and when it was supposed to go south, it, the band kept getting more fans, and the fans kept us alive, and, and we were selling T-shirts just to pay the attorney fees. You know, we were eating, we were splitting a dollar cheeseburger between five of us, and, and you know what I mean? And, and oh, my gosh. Depending on fans to eat, and yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like I said, alcohol is a big part of us. It's going to be okay, man. <laughs> Drink this. <laughs> and aye, so, aye. so you know, how... we were setting. Ahead, we were setting one night ahead, at so... our friend's. We were setting one night at our friend's house in Florida, and and my brother and I were you know handling everything and didn't know what we were going to do, and and we were paying this attorney ungodly amounts of money for you know him to tell us nothing every day, and um, we were watching a Tom Petty documentary. Just happened to be. We were drunk one night, sitting around getting high, and, and just in the doubts. I'm like, I, I don't know what we're going. I don't even know how we're going to get home, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. You know, I'm watching this Tom Petty documentary, and Tom Petty starts going through his career and starts talking about the first record deal he had, 
And he looked right at the camera. I swear he was looking right at me. He said, you know, if when you whenever you have contracts and things signed, if you file bankruptcy, all those go away. And I was like, oh, my God, because we were bankrupt at the so time. Meaning you, know? meaning you own it all? Basically? No, just, they, don't, they can't mess with you anymore. We never got our but music back. But that's what I'm saying. No, I'm sorry. We still don't own our music. What did you say? From, we still don't own our music from, from Tales from Dirt Town back. Oh, you don't? Yeah, we don't I thought from what I read about you guys that you got it back. No, no. We still don't get anything from that. No royalties, nothing from that. And it's still selling really well. Um, but we we don't get anything from that. Um, but Tom Petty said, if you file bankruptcy, all these contracts and things that you're obligated to are null and void. And so we reached out to a, a, a bankruptcy attorney, and he said, yes, this is true, but you have to be bankrupt. And I said, oh, we are. <laughs> we are definitely bankrupt. Right. He said, well, you know, he said, you know, you can't, you know, it'd be on your record for seven years. I was like, well, it's not like I'm gonna buy a car today anyway. So we filed right. bankruptcy, and and. And we called the attorney, and we said, you know, we had an $80,000 bill with him for for nothing, you know what I mean? It didn't tell us anything. And he said, that's a great idea. I was like, well, can I have like $18,000 back? Because you should have came up with this idea. And he said, no, you can't. So, exactly. boom, his name went on the bankruptcy. Yeah, his name went on the bankruptcy papers as well. All of you gone. Out. And we filed wow. bankruptcy because, I mean, we were literally broke. And, and, I mean, it was horrible. It was a horrible time. And we come right after that happened, we got out of everything and, and, and wiped the slate clean and, and, and we're able to be Boba Flex again and we're able to make records again. So we immediately put out Chemical Valley, which was a mm-hmm. five song or six song EP, and it had Bury Me With My Guns on it. And boom, that song blew up at radio. I mean, blew up huge mm-hmm. radio. I remember having a, a tiny budget for it. And they're like, listen, to do radio, it's it's expensive, and you have to. There's a lot of things that have to happen, and and this budget is not going to cut it. And somehow that song cut through everything and just blew up. I mean, it became the number one song in any radio station that played it. It became the number one requested song at that radio station. And all of a sudden, That's we're great. back, and everybody said they're dead, they're over, they're gone. Here we are, we're back, and 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 it allowed that song and that EP, Chemical Valley EP, allowed us to make a, another record. And allowed us to to remain a band for, uh, you know, to to get to the next level of what we wanted to do. It allowed us to. It was like it was like a piece of wood out in the ocean. It was like, oh my God, we can float on this until somebody comes by or right. paddle or drift oh, drift that's, into the that's island. A great analogy. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Wow. I'm sorry to hear about all the stuff you guys went through, but like you said, I mean, just your your dedication, your perseverance, and you know, it's. I'm sure it would be very difficult for anyone to overcome that, but you guys, you know, really pushed through. And uh, it's, oh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it was, it was difficult. I, I, like I said, alcohol is a wonderful thing. I, we laughed about it the other day, and and it was like, you know, you you go play the show, and and that 30 minutes to to an hour that you play the show was complete heaven. And afterwards, all these feelings come rushing, and am I going to be able to do this with my friends anymore? Am I going to have to go get a job? I don't have any mm-hmm. skills. I dropped out of college. You know what I mean? It's like this is I'm a lifer, and this is how it's going to be. And 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 so you drink alcohol and you forget about it. And then you wake up the next day and you hurt and you're upset and you feel like, oh my God, what are we going to do? You get through the show and you drink more alcohol. And it was just able to get us through this really dark period to where you know at least at eleven o'clock at night we were laughing and having a good time and and 
decided, to, you know, with each right. other drunk that we're on to the next show. We're going to do this. And, and, it, and it worked out. And, and, you know, we got lucky and we found a great manager. Um, we hired New Ocean Media for our uh, publicity and, and they paired us up with yeah. a man by the name of Doug Weber. And he did yeah. such a great job. He was one of the only people in the music industry that we had given money to to do a job, and he went above and beyond the call of duty. So we begged him after he did our campaign for Barry Mintz, My Guns On, we begged him to be our manager, and he said yes. And, and it's been he, – he's been like – I mean, he's just been so great. He works with, with the band, and, and there's, it's all transparent, and he's just a great guy, and he, everybody likes him, and everybody knows him, and, and he's just like a really honest person and works – 24 hours a day on Bubble Flex, and he's just been amazing. It's one of the best things that's ever that's happened great. to us. We finally and I, found somebody. Comment, and I, go ahead, go ahead, and then I wanted hey, to comment on no, that. No, you go ahead. No, I'll cut really you off. Nice it's your turn. I'll cut you off too many times. Oh, no, <laughs> cut you off too many no, times. Just, I was just going to, no, it's hard. I wish, God, one day if I could have a face-to-face radio show. I mean, that's, I just, I love visual stuff, and it's hard when you're on the air like this and trying to, you know, listen to the person and you don't want to interrupt them, so I apologize, too. But, no, Doug's been great, and I've booked a bunch of bands through him. And like you said, I've always just, you know, it's only, I've never even talked to them on the phone, but it's through emails. And just, like you said, very professional, timely, gets back to you. And, yeah, it's been wonderful, wonderful working with him. So, yeah, I always, you know, send the messages, hey, forward me some more bands, and it's great working with him and promoting you guys. Definitely. I love him. He he cares about what he does, and he cares about the band, and he works really, really hard. And, and it's just something hard to find. I mean, in any kind of industry, it's hard to find someone that, that's that passionate and, and cares and yep. not just doing it for a paycheck is doing it because they, you know, care about the band. And, and what we've done now with Doug and, and uh, the band is we've gotten together and we've talked about a lot of things, and we've come up with an even better plan that is even working even better now. Like we got rid of promoters. We got rid of booking agents. We got rid of everybody, and we're doing everything on our own. And we cut out awesome. the middlemen. And, and now the only people that are working for the band is us five, our three awesome crew members, our bus driver, and Doug. And that's all we deal with, and, and it's great. <laughs> wow. and we, started going to the, we started going to the radio station ourselves and asking, you know, who do you support, meaning what club doesn't owe you money and hasn't screwed you over? And they will give us a, a list, and we'll find out through those clubs and we'll go to the clubs and we will say, now you're an empty shell that serves alcohol and has a PA system. We will take care of everything else. And what happens is if the radio station doesn't get behind the show, which we're finding 95% of the time there, we'd love to have you come on in and we'll, we'll take the show on and we'll do it. That's great. And, and if they don't, then we'll, we'll take money and, and we'll put it into radio ads and, and do the actual promotion. Cause what happens with these promoters and some of them are great. Some of them are really good. But the majority of promoters give four local bands that can't play their instruments 100 tickets that they can't get rid of, and that's how they promote right. the show. And right. that's no good for anybody. If we put a thousand mm-hmm. bucks into radio ads and 400 people show up at 10 bucks a pop, we've made our money back and we've played in front of a packed house, and the numbers yeah, on Polestar go up. And it's just it, it's, it seems simple, and, and it's like you get with these these booking agents who don't care how far you have to drive. If you make three grand and have to drive fifteen hours, you didn't really make three grand. Well, that's what people yeah, don't remember, it's, and it's it's interesting that you're saying that because I'm I'm a big fan of Howard Stern, and I'll never forget. You know, it wasn't too long ago we had Kid Rock in the studio, and Kid Rock was talking about just what you're talking about sell tickets for a lower price, you know, make it worth the fans' while. And even Howard was like, well, that's ridiculous. You're selling it for whatever, 25 bucks. 
And he's like, yeah, but that, that's what gets these people to come out. And that's where that's he makes, you know, he makes you money. Rock, like, yeah, because Live Nation and, and Kid Rock are in a big battle, and, and Kid Rock did the Pearl Jam and said, we want our fans to come see the show. And, and he knows who his fans are. His fans are the ones that are working 10 hours a day. And he doesn't, you know, Kid Rock could easily exactly. get a $100 ticket. He could easily get oh, a hundred dollar yeah. ticket. He's worth it. He's worth it, and I would pay a hundred bucks to see him. But the fact that he cuts it down to twenty five bucks so that I can come see him and it doesn't destroy my life—he's mm-hmm. one of the most kick ass dudes on the planet. Right, and it's smart. I mean, it's like what you're talking about, just with you know your bands and and the you know the concept of you're talking behind it to try to get people to come out versus right. Yeah. That's, it just blows so, me away because you, you have these promoters and everybody wants to put their hand in your pocket. And, and like I said, booking agents, anytime we got a booking agent, I'd send them a map and ask them to look at it and ask them to tell me how – because I, I've always told booking agents, I understand it's hard to book a tour. It's even harder to go on that tour. So I've had booking agents go, it's <laughs> right. only a 10-hour drive. It's only a 10-hour drive. Oh it's gosh. like well, when you do six 10-hour drives, it's like that's a full work day before we even get to the venue. And then you yeah, want, then I, gotta play I can't it, even imagine. And it's like, so we stopped doing yeah. that, and we start we we stopped trusting anybody else. And and we, you know, we've had some had some really good booking agents. Dan DeVita, I, I don't put him in this lump of booking agents. Um, Dan DeVita was one of the coolest dudes we ever met, and he worked with us when we were on, when we were on TBT, and he was honest and he was smart, and and he was a great guy. And there's a couple other agents out there that are really cool. It's just. Now that you get everybody's hand out of your pocket and it's all up to you, it's a little more busy work, a lot more busy work, actually, mm-hmm. but I'm not lifting the front end of a truck, and I, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, I'm not in an office every day. So we, we started doing that right. on our own, and, and it just started really working. We started selling out shows on Mondays and Tuesdays, and it's like, why? Because people know that we're That's coming amazing. to town. That's amazing. Right. It's like radio. Also, I mean, again, you, serious be- satellite Sirius Satellite Radio is blowing up, and that's that's amazing. And I love Sirius Satellite Radio. But there's still a lot of people that listen, turn on that free rock station, and that's where they get their music from. And if you don't have a relationship with that station, your club is going to close, you're not going to be a promoter in that town for very long, and bands aren't going to sell out clubs. You have to get with the radio station. They are the be-all, end-all of music for that town. It can be a small town. If they have a rock station, those people in that small town don't care if this station reports to the to the big media base, you know, giant in the sky. They don't care. That's their rock station, and that's who they turn to for their music. And their DJs are their their kings of that town, and and that's that's who you go to. That is the gatekeeper. And if you try mm-hmm. to go around that gate or you know kick dirt on that gate, you will not survive in that market. And that's just a fact. Right. Right. Well, no. Thank you for thank you for sharing all that. And I, I always am very interested <laughs> in the business side of it too. No, I am. I'm very interested in kind of how things are done in the business side. And you know, people find that boring sometimes. But I want to know how things work. I mean, I find that part of just creative aspect of of music itself. So let's do well, this. Well, that's, that's what it's turned into. That's what it's turned into is the is the is the savvy musician on his iPhone. It's that's what it's right. not the days of. You know, uh, dude sitting in an office smoking a cigar and drinking champagne and making a couple phone calls. That is over with. The the no, you know, right. distribution companies are going away. Who sells CDs anymore? Walmart and and Fyes and and they don't sell anything but the top, you know, top 100. And it's like you can't discover music like you like you used to. I mean, you can on the internet and stuff, and and and, and mm-hmm. that's great. But it's such a huge 
there's no streamline of you know these bands rise to the top and, and it's it's a different it, you do you still rise to the top if you're good but it's a different kind of thing and it's like the the whole industry is flipped over on its head and the people that refuse to change with it are the people that you know used to be in the music industry not people that are still right. thriving in the music industry and and things like iTunes and all that stuff it's great I mean I mean you don't have to go to a record store you can pop it up on your phone and you can listen to it right now and that's the beauty about about you know the phones right now. If we drive by with our bus wrapped, and there's a big picture of our van on the a big picture of our, us on the on the side of the bus, and it drives by, the kid can instantly go, "What in the heck was that?" And bam, find out ten seconds later through his phone, and he can hear the yep, music and see that's videos. That's who I am. I'm that person that's visually driving around. Something just strikes my you know interest. I'll right when I get home, I'll remember it, and I'll just type it into the computer and just be like, "Oh, what's that all about?" And you know, that's yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, the advertising and the marketing like that. Definitely. So let's do this. Like, I, wanna, I could talk to you all night. Go ahead. Finish that up, and then I want to ask some. Well, that's our next. That's our next big move is we're going to wrap our tour bus with with the websites and and the tour dates and all that stuff. And cool. and because we pass probably a hundred thousand people a day on the highway, you know, it's a huge walking billboard. Yeah. And so it we're is. looking. If you got any connections, we're looking for somebody out there to help us wrap the bus and. And we'll advertise their business on there, and, and our face is huge on the side, and, and because it's the generation of the iPhone, and when we pass by them and we're stuck in a traffic jam, they can find out who we are in seconds. Okay. Well, I'm sure you guys can find someone who could do an amazing job to wrap your bus, right? I'm saying it's a little, it's a little old school mixed with a little new school. You know what I mean? It's like here's the age-old okay. bill, flying billboard down the highway, and new technology has made it to where you can figure out who we are. In seconds, if, even if you don't like us, you can at least go, what in the heck was that that just went by us? <laughs> exactly. All right, I'll keep my eyes out for you if I think of any uh, interesting people that do that type of stuff. I don't know if I do, though, but I'll keep you in my mind. Um, so, yeah, a couple of quick questions about just, you know, I mean, I wanted you to tell more of your story, and I really appreciate everything that you shared tonight. And, and I, you know, kindly, um, you know, ask that you please promote the interview because it's, been a great interview, Marty, Absolutely. and you shared some really cool stuff just about you and the bands and, and everything you guys have been through. So, Boba Flex, I know the band name came from Boba Fett of Star Wars, and again, I I don't know much about Star Wars. It was never something I was, you know, really into. So, how did you guys decide to use that to transition into the name of the band? I It was it's a horrible name. <laughs> <laughs> like when we, we had record labels because that's the worst name I've ever heard. Change that name, change that name. And, and um, when we started out, we were, you know, it, was, it wasn't a hobby to me, but it was a hobby to a couple other people in the band. And they just came up with a name one day, like, hey, you know, my brother's a big Star Wars fan, and, and a couple of the other guys in the group were, you know, Star Wars fans. And they came up with a name, and, and it just kind of stuck. And to me, I wish we'd have came up with something like the. Dark City Hitman or something cool, the Rattlesnake Shake or Poison or Kiss or something like that. <laughs> but it became something, it meant something after a while, you know. At first I thought it was a stupid name, and it was back in the era of Hoobastank and Limp Biscuit, and, and when your name was supposed to be stupid right. and names like Rat, Rat were already taken. <laughs> and so it was one of those kind of things, and, and it just kind of it stuck with the band, and, and we had a quick local following come on pretty quick, and then... It just became something to the fans and became something to us. And you know, I wish I had a great story about the name, and and I don't. It's just like somebody threw it out okay. there and said, "Cool, put it on the flyer." Yeah, it's like, "Cool, put so, it on the so flyer, let's Boba... make flyers, and promote the show." Right. So from Boba Fett, did someone just like make a weird like 
you know, like word-wise, like to say something weird, like Boba Flex instead of Boba Fett? Yeah, yeah, because we were kind of like at the time. Okay, we were, okay. Thought, thought we were a lot funkier than we were, and we liked to flex, man. I like that. Let's put let's put I this together. And it, was just, okay. it was just lame, but like like I said, after time, you know, I remember thinking that Guns N' Roses was a horrible name when I was a kid, and then when I saw the first video, I was like, it's the greatest name of all time. And it was just one of those right. things where this this became something to the fans, and and Bowflex came out. So whether you've heard of us or not, when we tell you the name, you say, I think I've heard of you guys. <laughs> so it kind of works. <laughs> there you go again, the marketing and advertising aspect, like you said. So how did you guys come up with the name for this album, Charlatan's Web? So you know, I, I thought that that was interesting, and you know, talk a little bit about the you know the artwork on the album cover and the symbolism that that might um, display. Well, this industry is full of any industry is full of people that just want to take your money and and good job, kid. And so, we're not kids anymore. So you know, it was um, my brother came up with a list of twenty names. We were sitting in the studio, and he was just he said, I, "I got twenty names I wrote down for the album," and he started reading them. And um, he said, "Charlatan's Web," and I was like, "Oh my God, that's it, man!" And because all the songs cool. on the album, whether it's about ourselves or it's about other mm-hmm. people, everybody has this, you know. Every now and then is, has acted like a charlatan, or you know has been fake, or or done something right, that they're not proud of. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, to get up on over on somebody, and and he just, he came out with this name, and I just thought that was Sean always comes up with uh, a lot of the times, not always, but a lot of the times Sean comes up with the name of the album, and he just my brother's a writer. I mean, he writes his own stories. He's he's the coolest dude I ever met. He's one of the most creative people I've ever met. Like on a daily basis, I my jaw drops. I'm like, what did you just say? And he just he's just wow. so creative and 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 he just like all the time does all this stuff. So you know, he's just like he's just out there. And he, I mean, he's he's a sweetheart. He's he's harmless, but he's insane in a good way. I mean, he brought the song right. School for Young Ladies. He brought the song School for Young Ladies to the table. And he had it all worked out in his head and everything. And he's like, I was like, are you crazy? He's like, listen, it's about a, about a school teacher that wants to, you know, wants to, is in love with this student. And I was like, are you out of your mind, man? That's just nuts. <laughs> and he started playing it for me. I was like, you are out of your mind, but in a good way. And he's just right. like, he just fires off so many things. Like, I, I kind of have to like put my arms out and kind of funnel them into the direction, you know what I mean? Like, come on, that's a great idea. Let's work on that. And he just has all these ideas that come out of his mouth so fast that if you, it's, he's hard to keep up with. And I'm saying this in a positive way because like you said early on, you talked a little bit about ADHD. Was that something that yeah. he also had? Oh, God, yeah. He was probably oh, okay, a okay. poster child. He's he's even speedier than you because you're pretty speedy yeah, <laughs> in terms yeah, of talking and and you know getting a lot of information and it's great. I mean, you really can get a lot of information out there. But you would say he even tops you. I am definitely the calmer brother. Wow. Of the two. Okay. Yeah, he's he's outrageous. I mean, and he's hilarious. Like everything he says is funny. And <laughs> that's what the reason that the band's been able to get through so many things is because each member is hilarious. And regardless of what's happening, we're still laughing about it, even if, like, through the bankruptcy and we've stood on the side of the highway with a van, 12-foot-high flames burning down in Georgia with no ride home, and, and they were just hilarious about everything and just cracked up, like, well, we're totally screwed, and blah, we're telling jokes and stuff. And, and it just that's how we've got along is just everybody is honest and hilarious, and, and I have a blast. I sit on the bus with 
the band members still to this day and laugh hysterically and can't stop laughing and can't wait to hear what Jared's going to say or Sean's going to say or, or Tommy or, or our guitar player Dave, who's not new anymore. And, oh, man, he's awesome. Great. He's a godsend to the band. That's awesome. Well, and I think sense having a sense of humor has been has been a coping mechanism for you guys in a lot of ways, and that, that's great. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love humor. I use that in my life all the time. Some of the most disturbing things, people will be like, how is that, like, not, like, distressing you? And I'll be like, because that's how I cope with it. I somehow spin it to make it funny. And it, it is terrible, right, but right. it sounds like what you guys have done, and, you know, it, it works. That's what I've always said. If, if your leg didn't just get blown off by an opposing force, or your best friend just didn't get his head blown off, or you just your one of your family members didn't die in a car wreck. It's not that big of a deal. We can figure a way out around it. You know, nice. there's certain things in this nice. life that are permanent that you cannot change, and then in most mm-hmm. of it you can. That's a good way to look at it. And if you sit down, Absolutely. yeah, I mean, if you sit down and figure it out and stay calm, and and you know what I mean, the best way to stay calm is to laugh hysterically about. Like, one of the things we love to do is read horrible reviews on the band. This band is <laughs> like. Final Tap, this band is the worst <laughs> band ever, and we die laughing, especially when some of it's true, when they really nail us to the wall. And it looks like our first record, I remember, um, we did our first record, and TVT Records took us out to, to one of these cool shops in New York and bought us clothes and stuff, and somebody just drilled us on the, on the uh, oh, review. Oh, no. Look. Yes, and somebody went and got new T-shirts with their new <laughs> money. And it was so true, we started dying laughing, like, oh, man, he nailed it. <laughs> How did he know? And just funny Aww. things like that. And, you know what I mean? But what's happened in the, over the years is that we've taken our craft seriously that we haven't got very many bad reviews anymore. And, and I, I, I don't remember reading one for Charlotte's Web or, or one for Hell in My Heart, and it's, it's been really, really cool. And, and, but, you know, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. If you, if you take yourself too seriously, right. you'll eat yourself alive. And it's just, there's no reason well, to take yourself I, seriously. It's like we're all, we're all idiots. No, but I think that's what's great about you guys, too. Like you said, being so humble, you know, kind of doing a 180 to what we talked about earlier, is that, and having a sense of humor, being able to laugh at yourselves. And, and really, when it comes down to it, having confidence. And you guys have confidence. You know you're that good. Like you said, when you were just starting out and you could just get up there because you were so tight and you knew your stuff, and if it, even if people didn't like your song, they were like, wow, these guys are the real deal. So I think that confidence and that self-assurance can make you sometimes laugh if, God forbid, you know, a bad review trickles out there. Oh, well, you know well, what I mean? One, so, time, one time we had a manager that was out of touch and didn't have any idea about us, and he put us on tour with the Insane Clown Posse group, the Twisted. You ever heard of okay. Twisted? Put us well, on tour with Twisted. Clown Posse. Yeah, well, Twisted is the 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 label mates who are huge, and you have to respect okay. the things that they've built. And it's juggalo, it's the juggalo life, and and he, and we, I respect what they have built, and they have a massive following, and these kids love them. And are, but I knew that we weren't going to connect with their fans. We did some of them, but it, I found out what it was like when we did a long tour with Twisted. And we're a rock group on this insane clown posse kind of, you know, big, huge rap, underground rap thing. And everybody's wearing face paint and they're screaming at us and hating us. I found out what it was like to be a bad wrestler. Mm-hmm. Like to be a wrestler that nobody likes. I, it was, and it toughened up our skin and it made us laugh and, and realize everybody doesn't like you. And I mean, I remember before we even hit the stage in Detroit, the entire crowd turned their backs on us and gave us the middle finger and started mm-hmm. throwing stuff at us. And we were fortunate oh enough to make God. friends with the light. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to make friends with the light guy. So 
so he would turn the light on the crowd so we at least have a fighting chance to duck at the things that were coming at us, and we could pick out who threw it at us at the crowd ass after the show. <laughs> so it was a definite wow. toughening up of the spirit and the skin. Like, okay, we're going to have to fight 2,000 people tonight. Um, let's do it. Let's, let's swing first. And it was uh, right. it was a it was a strange experience, but it was a it was a good experience for the band. Like, all right, well, you know, certain people aren't going to like you. Don't take it so harshly. Right, right. Uh, well, thank you so much, Marty. I don't want to keep you on all night, and the time for my show in terms of how much I booked is going to start winding down shortly. But you guys right are more on, than right welcome on. to come back on. Yes, no, I just want to say you guys are more than welcome to come back on in the future. I'd love to have you back on. So just you know, I'll keep in touch with Doug. If you want to keep in touch with me, too, um, you know where I'm on Facebook and stuff. So, yeah, I wish you much continued success. It's been a, a phenomenal interview. And uh, like I said, if you could uh, promote the link and stuff on your social media just to get the word out there, and that would be great. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Great questions, not the average question of uh, who's your influences. It Thanks. was great. It was awesome. It was awesome. And Thank you. And that's what I tried to – go ahead. I'm sorry. You go. You, you definitely, you definitely accomplished your goal. And anytime you need anything from us, you let us know, and I'll see you at the show. You just, you got my number now. You hit me up, walk you right in the back door, and pour you the first shot of liquor out of the bottle. <laughs> Thank you. Well, same here. Please keep my number on file too. And if you need any type of stuff off the air in terms of uh, psychological stuff, you can always feel free to contact me. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, so great job, Marty. Seriously, and I, I do appreciate the the comment because, again, like you said, I, I really put a lot of time and effort into my interviews, and this is not something that, you know, I just do off the fly. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. And like I said, anytime, you just let me know. Cool. All right. Thanks so much, Marty, and much success to you and the band, okay? Thank you. Thanks. Have a great night. Okay. Okay. Bye. All right, everyone, Bobo Flex, again, almost an hour-and-a-half interview with Marty and uh, one of the lead singers. As they said, they all switch off at times. So please check them out. Go to the official BoboFlex.com. Check them out for upcoming shows. Pick up Charlatan's Web, which is their album that is out right now. And, again, kindly share and promote this interview. It was a great interview with him, and you're going to hear stuff from him that you're not going to find anywhere else. So, again, please tune into the Carrie Edmund Show you can follow me on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. You can also um, become a fan of the Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook, where you can learn all about upcoming guests, events, and more. So please like the page. And if you want to befriend me on Facebook, too, I have uh, two personal pages. One of them occasionally is maxed out, depending on what's going on statistically. So if that one is, just find my other one. And love to keep in touch with people that way, too. So, again, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great night, and please support these guys and their journey amazing story that was shared and I would appreciate supporting the show and and sharing their interviews so people can learn all about them. Thanks so much. We will be back uh, probably next week. I haven't confirmed the interview yet, but again, just check the, uh, the Facebook page and all that stuff and I'm constantly posting about it. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great night.